Attention all Dungeons & Dragons fans. KOSU has the podcast for you. Red Dirt D&D brings you the world's greatest role-playing game, along with music and sound effects like a classic radio show. New shows drop every Wednesday, are totally free, and short enough to fit into your daily commute or working out at the gym. Red Dirt D&D can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as KOSU.org, or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, how you doing? We are back, Midwest Game Fest Online, day three, Saturday. Um, this is the writing sci-fi horror panel. I uh, just got done watching a, uh, a, a watch and paint with a, 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 a color theory discussion. And um, we've got more content, including some live plays coming up later in the day. There's also content coming up on Sunday. If you missed any of it, you can go back and watch the video on demand on Twitch here for a few weeks, and then you'll be able to catch it on YouTube. Um, if you're tuning into one of these panels that uh, I'm hosting uh, here on Midwest Game Fest, the Geeks Camp panels, the World of Game Design panels, um, you can check those out on our YouTube channel. You can also check them out on the Geeks Can't podcast afterwards. So there's a lot of places that you can uh, give them a give them your glass. Also, if you haven't checked out Midwest Game Fest yet, um, you should go to MidwestGameFest.com. There's an online con that's happening right now, but also there is a live in-person con that happens in April um, right here in Kansas City. It's a very cool con. I've been a, a few times now. It's awesome. Um, I'll be back next year, um, and I would recommend that you you go as well. If you like the content that you're seeing here online, there's going to be even more of the same type of content um, once we get in person in the spring. All right. With that said, uh, you're at the writing sci-fi horror panel. We're going to get right down into it. So let's start with some introductions. Um, I'm going to save myself for last. Brian, why don't you start and introduce yourself for us? Hey, everybody. I'm Brian Colon. Uh, my most current project uh, thing that I've been working on that would fit this is Vast Grimm, a rules-light sci-fi horror RPG set in a universe on the brink of collapse. Uh, you can find that at VastGrim with two Ms.com, and you can find out more about me at BrianColin.com. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah, Vast Grimm's awesome. You should check it out. We'll put links in the show notes later. Uh, Eric, what do you got for us? Uh, my name is Eric Alsandor. I go by Spire00x online. I create a ton of mothership content. I'm also a professional layout artist and graphic designer. I'm the author of Miami Laser Cutter Massacre, uh, uh, Rain and Blood, a number of small adventure contributions. If you just Google me, you can find it. It's like a lot of, it's like Zach, it's a lot of different things sprinkled across a vast majority of stuff. Um, working on a current large written sandbox setting for mothership. Um, but yeah, I'm in the I'm in the design writing world. I'm like a hybrid hybrid guy. You can find you Google Spider X. You'll find all my nudes. You'll find all my things online. <laughs> all my all my dirty laundry. I don't have a I don't have my own name in a URL yet, Brian. I'm working on that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> thanks, thanks, uh, thanks, Eric. And I think this is probably a good time to bring up. Uh, let's you know we we Brian, you gave a little overview on Vascrim, but uh, let's let's go ahead before we get to Dave here and right in between the Mothership creators, let's talk about Mothership for just a minute. So we we're talking about sci-fi horror because Vascrim is sci-fi horror, and it's kind of its weird punk Gonzo 
way with Brian. And then Mothership is a sci-fi horror RPG uh, that's in the vein of Alien, or at least that's where it started. Um, it's been around for a few years. Um, the first official box set with all the beautiful rules and all that is coming out uh, this spring in 2024. But you can go online and find the uh, the uh, player's toolkit um, in PDF form, and you can check out what Mothership is like. I think you can still get that for free or pay what yeah, you want. I'm pretty sure. I'm yep. pretty sure it's always be free. Yeah. Um, and I'll say like, uh, not to plug Mothership too heavily here, but because I think um, it's not something that a lot of people know about. I know Brian's stuff, Vastgrim, you can pick up right here in Kansas City at some of our retail stores like uh, Tabletop KC. Um, True. Right. So, so, but with Mothership, it's sometimes a little bit more difficult, but I would, I would highly recommend you check it out. If, 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 if like sci-fi horror is your jam and you already own Bascrim, Motherships is the next thing that you should pick up um, and you can get it for free. Join their Discord. It's really great. Keep an eye out for the big box set coming out um, this spring. And the cool thing about Mothership and Vascrim is that both of them have open gaming licenses to some extent where you as a creator, as a writer, can create your own content for this game. Um, and that's how a lot of us got our start is either writing fifth edition or something else that has an open gaming license. Mothership is fantastic in this way and you can, um, write all sorts of things. Uh, Eric's already talked about that, but we've kind of branched out in Mothership from not just the alien aesthetic, but all sorts of wild sci-fi horror aesthetics from Event Horizon and all other types of weird sci-fi can now be found there. Anyhow, I've spoken a lot about Mothership, but maybe, maybe that piqued your interest. Dave, why don't you introduce yourself here? Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Zach, for having me and for introducing Mothership to explain kind of a little bit of what I do, because I'm a third-party writer for Mothership. I've been doing that since not long after the Zero Edition came out. So I've published a few uh, third-party adventures under my publishing house, Magnum Galaxy Game, the house of one person. I'm you know, just me. But uh, I've worked with a lot of great creators in the space, written a lot of... Uh, successful stuff i think you might have heard of dying hard on Hardlight station probably my most popular game and everything i've written since then is really tied into that my most recent kickstarter uh box set is coming gonna hopefully be out around the same time as the mothership box set nirvana and fire expanded edition so that's coming in from uh panda games and it's a whole box set so i'm really excited to get that out to the world so i'm happy to talk about it and uh sci-fi horror today sweet yeah and i'll say like this is a really good crew of people because um, like we t when we talk about third party creators, obviously Brian is a first party creator with Vastgrim. And, <laughs> still and... a third party creator as well, since it's True. based on more. So that's a good know. point. Yeah, it uh, Vastgrim mm. is a is the sci fi version of Morkborg. Um, so if you like that, you'll like Vastgrim. Um, but one of the cool things that I will note here is that Eric and Dave are some of the most prolific um, creators of mothership content and up there with joel hines as far as like and marco serrano and some of these other cool cats gotta have red hair gotta that's be right. a red hair too that's right to, as like these are like the people right. who have made made at least some form of a living um i, bought a, I won't I bought speak a for everybody i won't speak for everybody and i don't know the dollar amounts for everybody but the cool thing why this panel is cool and we had a mothership panel at GameholeCon that was in the same way. Why this is a cool panel is that you're not just talking to folks who are like, oh, I do this as a hobby, or I do this every once in a while. You're doing this with people who have found some level of success writing mm -hmm. sci-fi horror. And so this panel hopefully will, will give you some pathways to what that could look like for yourself, but also what, what it takes to write a good sci-fi horror game. So that's what we're going to talk about. I think we've 
uh, done a good introduction here. I'll just go ahead and say my name is Zach Goins. I'm the president of Tabletop Fanatics. I'm one of the producers at World of Game Design. I've written for Mothership. I've written for Vascrim. I've written for a lot of different things, um, and I'm super excited to be here. Uh, let's just start. Um, let's start with Dave. Dave, when you think about writing sci-fi horror, one of the things that I kind of that pops into my head right off the gate is like. When you're writing a sci-fi horror game, it's a little bit more tricky, or it can be, than writing your standard adventure, um, because your standard adventure for maybe D&D or Morkborg or something like that, uh, you know, that sort of a thing, A, it, there's a pre-assumption to, like, you know, heroism and or comedy, right? Mm. Um, and a lot of that is stuff that will naturally come up at the gaming table by your players, right? Uh, comedy is something that, that will trigger in your in your around your table naturally you don't have to bake it into an adventure necessarily it's gonna coalesce also players like to be heroic so that will often naturally coalesce but a lot of times i think that it's it's dependent upon the writer first and initially and then the game master to fully set up a horror vibe a horror atmosphere in a session Dave, what do you think are like some of the keystones of that that you start to think about when you're writing a uh, a, a horror module to get played? To nail the tone, you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's a great question. I think, especially in the mothership space and in a lot of this, we're really working. We're starting with that. You said alien, right? That's the initial assumption. Whenever I'm pitching the game to people, I'm always saying. You know, okay, it's like like alien, but here's the twist, right? Or, and when I say alien, I mean you know blue collar sci-fi nearish future kind of space trucker, you know, horror, right? It's, these are not uh, the general of some space armada or something. You're more like a you're a janitor or you're a you're like um you're a grunt. A, just a dude a grunt exactly. You're someone that got caught up in a bad situation, and your your best ability is that you have a really sharp pencil. You know what I mean? Like that's you know, that's what you're kind of working with. So when I'm setting tone in my modules, I think I'm always coming from that place of like, we're really em emulating the cinematic universe. Um, we're working with our touchstones. Uh, having short, punchy introductions are really important, like a little bit of scene setting, or like a timeline. Um, but then I think you're weaving the tone throughout the whole module. Like, I really hate a lot of exposition. I, I don't read anything that's got a page of like, like a whole page of like telling me what the story is, right? I want that story to come through in every item, in every location, in all the descriptions, right? Like every everything on the page is telling the story and there's no exposition. It's like each item is gonna get into that, right? So everything you pick up, everything you interact with and everything everywhere you go is reinforcing that tone uh, that you're going for. I think that's really important to, we're not assuming comedy and heroism. Uh, it's It's definitely like, you are these, you are a janitor, you've got a bottle of cleaning fluid that maybe you could mix up into some chlorine, like see, see how you can get around these plant zombies, you know? What, and I'll open this up a little bit uh, if, if other people want to weigh in here, but, but you talked about tone. Can you give some examples of how you would write tone into an item or a scene description? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I read an awesome article my friend sent me, uh, Hank Morrison, who I worked on the cleaning of Prison Station Echo with. He's working now, if you guys know the game Stellaris, yeah. Paradox. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. he got hired by them. He works there. And he sent me like a 
like this game design article that I thought just nailed it, where it's talking about how items like if you find a shotgun, you know, in, in the closet, right? You don't need to tell me that this shotgun is three feet long and how it looks. We know what a shotgun looks like. Instead, give me like uh, shotgun, three long claw marks gouged into the steel of the barrel, right? Two shots. You know, that's what I want to see. The description of that item is going to paint you a picture of what's going on in this module. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, uh, any of the other two of you have uh, thoughts? Oh, sorry. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to cut no, no. David <laughs> off because I didn't know you were a real one, David. Okay. Cause I, you say all the same shit that I say. I, they look at me like some old grandpa dude when I write this stuff, because like, I totally agree. Everything you just said, like I pick a tone, a theme and it runs the beats go throughout the whole thing now there are people in the osr who will tell you that these adventures aren't supposed to be cinematic they're not supposed to tell a story i reject all of that like i want to tell a story i hate when i have a, a player just die suddenly in the it's like oh uh, i mean that, that can happen but you know what i mean like same thing it's like a shotgun in an fps i know what it does it does spread shot i don't need to know all the little stats i know what it's going to do but to, you 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 see it in little descriptive things that mnemonic things that stick with you like when i have factions usually factions of a color yellow if you see yellow mm -hmm. in the game it's, it's this mercenary company they're bad you know like you do these little you do these little things and if you do it right you don't seem heavy-handed uh, sean mccoy and i have these long drawn-out philosophical discussions about this stuff <laughs> on discord all the time I'm usually drunk and like we're going back and forth <laughs> about this stuff but it's the same thing because like you don't want to get bogged down with you don't wanna get bogged down with like this info dump i am super against info dumping like that's why i mean brian's saying it to you like, like i feel like every page in my books even nirvana on fire you could cut the whole page away and put on a wall and be cool like you're yep. just like mm -hmm. i want to flip through this this is neat what is going on in here and it keeps you engaged unless you're a really good writer who can like just really like i'm not like I'm, no I'm, neither I'm, am i i, I yeah. want everything short and succinct and yes. part of the way like i convey the tone is visually as well because i also mm -hmm. do layout and sculpt and do a lot of the art that yeah. goes into it yeah. i think that helps set things and i know you guys tend to do more like a specific style of horror i try to leave most of my adventures open to horror interpretation because i'm mm -hmm. more of like a b-movie horror guy where i want to goofy and gross and over the top, but I want to allow if somebody's at the table that wants to run it where it's tense and nerve wracking and like you're on the seat, the edge of your, your seat because you're worried about your character. I want that to be a possibility as well. And I think like you had said, Dave, when it's built into how you describe like the big bad or the, the things that, that are in the room, or even if it's random based on tables, how those are written so that it can be interpreted by the GM to make it their own. I think that's a really important thing. So it's, at least for the, the 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 adventures I write, I want it to be like I want to play it five different times and have it have the tone be five different tones of horror. Yeah. The other thing that I think uh, when we think about horror and conveying that is that most RPGs, like I look at most most modules, and I say the the goal of this module is to be a resource for the game master, right? Like that's the main objective. Mm -hmm. um, I think that with a horror module, there's a second objective, which is I need as a writer to instill in the game master that horror feel, that mood. I need to 
to the, the same feelings that you get when you read a good horror story. I need to get some of those same feelings welling up in the Game Master when they read my content. Because if they can believe it or if they can feel it, then they're more likely to be able to convey that same feeling, that same emotion to their their players. And so while I 100% agree that like minimalist writing with horror is fantastic, short, punchy sentences, things like that, I will say that like if I feel like, all right, here's where the bad guy or the villain or the, the xenomorph or whatever is revealed, that's where I use my words if I need to, right? Like that's where mm. I'll think about like, all right, we got to get a good description here for this creature. We got to, you know, we got to set this scene right because A, I've got to, I've got to punch into the, the game master. And then also I'm not just punching into the game master, but I'm also then giving them tools and ammunition to then punch accurately to the players because not every game master that walks in to vast grim or mothership or alien or whatever is going to be super comfy with creating a horror environment on their own so anything i can do to kind of say here say it like this i or at mm -hmm. least here's a way to say it that should get mm -hmm. you in the vein of where you want to go i think that's worth when you when you when you have some words or when use your word budget on those moments, uh, if you can. So, yeah. have you? I mean, you guys know who George Miller is, right? Director of Yeah, Mad Max, Fury Road. Fury, mm -hmm. That is my as a writer, as a creator of RPGs. That's my the plot of Mad Max mm. Fury Road is this chick takes a car and turns left. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's very there's very minimal dialogue. There are things going in. Max has flashbacks. You could you know he's a cop or something like that. You think he lost his family? You're not really sure. He's a haunted dude. And then you have characters come in, they do heroic stuff, and then the it just ends. Like, that's how, like, there's not a lot of dialogue. You just, it's told yeah. visually and audibly, and that's exactly, I think Brian, too, that's exactly how I do my stuff. But as you're flipping the pages, you're, like, understanding how the dark, the tone yeah. of it. Yep. So that's the best way I can put it. Yeah, you see Eric, films. I think that's such a good example of Mad Max, Fury Road, and all those films, like, minimal dialogue. But every detail in, in every scene is telling story. Yep. Right, like the guys with their silver painted teeth, they never tell you what that means, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, it's a world where you have silver spray paint left over, but they're they're not at the hardware store, you know what <laughs> I mean? And they think that somehow spraying on their teeth is a good idea, right? And they make Always. their their weird little catchphrase chants, and all those things come together to tell that story and build that world without them saying like it's the year twenty forty nine and you know, the world is, I mean, I guess they did that number too. But, that, but, but it's like you know. three sentences, like the world ended, yeah. the nuclear holocaust, you know, people fight over gas and bullets. Yeah, okay, yeah. here we go. You know, but you know, yeah. William, William Gibson is the same thing. William Gibson, he just puts you in a world. There's like, there's terminology, there's lingo, there's, he doesn't tell you what any of this is. Or, uh, mm -hmm. George Martin, very little either. You have to like, if you want to find out, if I did a good enough job, you'll start peeling through the layers to find out mm -hmm. what this stuff is. I don't have to, have like, to like dump to it on it. You lose the immersion. Yeah, yeah. Talk about let's 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 cover tone a little bit, and we can we could we could live on tone for a bit. But let's talk about pacing for a moment, Brian. Like I think pacing is super important when it comes to horror, um, in it because without proper pacing, you quickly go from a horror to a thriller, or sure. an action yep. or whatever, right? Like so, talk about what when you sit down to write sci-fi horror. What what's the good? What's it? What's the what's the pace structure that you're looking for? I mean, with that, I think that's kind of pretty standard with any sort of RPG, because if you have too much action, 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 it just gets repetitive and boring. So you want to make sure, like, especially 
especially if it's an adventure where you have certain rooms that have randomly generated things that go into it, even if it all ties into the horror storyline, you want to make sure that there's there's places for the players to explore, to have the story unfold, and not just have it be, oh, this giant goopy scary thing with all these teeth just fell from the ceiling in front of us you know you want to be able to have all allow enough breathing room for all the beats to go um from room to room or location to location within the story i love um one of the things that i adore in the uh alien starter kit adventure um cheer to the gods is it it has here's things you have the you have the the map of the ship and there's descriptions of every room but then in the back of the book there is act one here's the things that must happen here's the things that can happen right Mm -hmm. and i think with what that does when you have must happens and can happens and you're and it's organized by act one act two act three that that cinematic arc um what that does is it it communicates you're communicating to the game master hey these act one things are more minor they're more atmosphere generating, suspense generating. Maybe there's a small creature that you can engage with. Maybe you find a corpse. There's things like that. Maybe you find the shotgun with the claw marks in the closet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those things are meant to kind of set an atmosphere, but also kind of promise something mm-hmm. in the future, right? Um, and I think that for me, when I'm thinking about a horror story, um, I'm really focused on that la- layering of suspense and tension must mm-hmm. happen first. Um, and that if we're diving straight into terror, we've missed, I think the, the key ingredient in what makes horror memorable is that, 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 that building of suspense. Can so, we get, can we get controversial, please? Sure. Like, what is this vanilla <laughs> shit? Like, so there is a, there is a lot of stuff out there. I'm talking to people who are watching this where you, you guys should have put out, a book full of roll tables and be like just go that is the most cowardly bullshit i've ever seen in my life have the guts to write a story where you have acts make a choice before you make an adventure where it's like am i going to have a three a three arc act is a reason why this has existed since the greeks where you have story arcs hmm. like completed you've accomplished something and you move forward through a story if you are good at your craft you hide you hot every game is on a rails to a degree okay your ability to be a good GM or a writer is how well you hide those rails. So I say this, Zach, because pe- there are people out there on Twitter who will push back against having structured anything. You want to just roll with the tables and it just goes bananas. And it's like, for me, it's like, as a, as a GM or a writer, I want to have some, I want to have some buy-in to the story. You know what I mean? That's so what, set your X, you know what I mean? I mean, that's mm. one of the things I try and emphasize in stories is I have something that's called what is inevitable. Because whether the the characters do stuff or not, stuff's always going on. Not that timeline, yeah. Like, yeah. Just because yeah, you don't see me when we're off camera, I'm still going and washing dishes and doing chores and things like that. So the, mm. the big bad or whatever is still going to accomplish this, whether or not the PCs interact or not. Yeah, I think um, I think having some kind of countdown of what happens if you do nothing or what's just going to always, happen, always, always, they're, they're, they're going to find a place to turtle up. I want to find the most the bridge of a ship or the armory. Just just know they're gonna do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, but you but you have destroyer of worlds is a good example. Like an alien, like the 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 larger campaign setting where there are set pieces, action set pieces that happen. Mm. That you kind of weave towards, and the players they're they're on a it's a roller coaster ride. You're gonna you're gonna go all over the park. It's it's fine. Just have a fun. People die on the way. You know, replace it 
replacement characters. I mean, because really this conversation is twofold, right? There's the mechanics of writing a story, then is the actual narrative part of writing a story. And it's hard to get those, those the push and pull that happens throughout the entire thing with that, in my opinion. I love the analogy of a roller coaster. I talk about when, when I talk about Kickstarters and Kickstarter campaigns, I often reference the idea of like, it's like an amusement park ride that you're getting on as a backer. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's fun. That's why you don't want to pre-order yeah. that shit. You want to, you know, but the same thing is true when you sit down to play a game, I think is that uh, even if you want to play a sandbox, even if you want to play something that's heavy with tables, at the end of the day, what you're wanting to walk away from at the end of that is a story. Right. You want, yes. and you want to feel like something was accomplished, something was discovered, something was resolved. And mm-hmm. um, tables are there to add some variety or to, to, to kind of add some flavor on the side. Randomness. Yeah, Randomness. yeah, yeah. But 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 I mean, the 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 narrative arc and, and we, we it's funny. This is the third chat out of the last four or five that I've done where the idea of just go watch cinema in the style that you yeah. want to tell your story in mm-hmm. as like and watch that arc yes. and then learn from that because there's no mm-hmm. better and and you can read too obviously like i guess people still read uh but mm-hmm. but the the arc of a movie is really really good for the arc of an adventure because it's yes. tight into a two or three hour format which typically translates into a one to right. three session game and so it's just a really sweet way of like showcasing what this could feel like and what the pacing needs to feel like right um you know if you if your show if the big boss if the scary thing happens 20 minutes into the movie then that that's not normal right that's a weird thing and it, it feels rushed and we all would say oh they show the guy too soon same thing with your game if you're showing your your big you know xenomorph villain in the first 30 minutes of the adventure and you're going to play three sessions probably too soon um yeah so pacing 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 so so stupid yeah. so stupid crazy important um uh, Eric, I'll turn it over to you. Like, what's it? So we talked about tone a little bit. We talked about pacing a little bit. What's something else that like writing good sci-fi horror must entail? That must entail. Um, you have to like. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't want to like self-report or anything, but like, and I will kill characters mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. I think you're doing something. St- I give people a big, big long preamble about it. Like when I'm writing and like there, like if you do something stupid, if you Rambo in or run around, I will kill you. And I'm not even going to blink. When I, when I play, when I run, I run a lot of convention games, the like 30 or 40 a year. I don't even want to know your, I, they sit down the table. I don't even want to know your names. Like don't, I don't care what your name, I don't care who you are, where you come from. Just your characters. I'm only going to refer to you as this to pull you into. I only refer to my players as their character names. I don't look at them as anything else, but that, and because I stay like that, they stay like that. When it comes to humor, I brought like the, you, the character, uh, your players will bring the humor in usually as a tension let down, like, Oh, we need a breather. The British have this grim humor thing. They do where even though they're dying, they're like, well, at least we don't, you know, at least we can die in the shade as we're sitting in this cave and, you know, you know, there's stuff like that will happen in the game and it happens in the game. But I think if, a good thing to do when I write adventures, I work backwards from the conclusion to the beginning. Hmm. Like I, at the end, I want them to be on us on this, in this building, fighting this creature. And how do I get there and work backwards? It's a lot easier working backwards and forwards when you write it, when you're writing adventures. <clears throat> These are the, I, I write the, I write an outline, go backwards yeah. to forwards, one, two, three acts. There's probably some depths in this, maybe one depth to set the tone in the beginning. 
And then usually about the end of my adventures, at least two thirds, if not half the people have died. That's I'm playing a campaign play. Just to let them know, like they they escaped and they felt like when I when I played Destroy a World is another callback to that. Out of the nine guys who played, I was the only person who survived. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I still talk about that campaign to this day. And uh, you know, so in my opinion, just like have a have something you want to say. Like you, if it's like, I mean, I, 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 I um, my buddy Egg wrote an adventure. It was like fa- it was like a, a fa- it was like face off. It was like a pamphlet. It was like face off versus. Uh, it was a play on the movie Face Off, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like Johnny Mnemonic, where like you're running around, and that, that's you take you took two you took two tones, married them together, and it created this interesting like um, like uh, David did that too with Hardlight. You took Aliens and yeah. uh, the Die Hard, fused them together, and it created this thing. So, in my opinion, have something you want to say, have a tone that works throughout the whole thing. And obviously, anyone who buys these adventures, they usually change them up. So, what I'm trying to do is give you my impression of what should happen. Here are the tools I use to get there. But have it be your own thing. I I get I always ask for feedback from my adventures, and like I would have never have thought they have, would have done that. Or people have they changed something that I didn't think would change, and they had a great yeah. time doing it. So I one of the things that so so I'm taking away from what you said there, at least in part, is a huge portion of horror is consequences, consequences. Yes. Actions. Mm. So let's talk about that for a minute. Like because I 100 agree. Like if if there isn't a perceived feeling that whether it's death or dismemberment or whatever it happens to be, right? Uh, uh, if there isn't a perceived feeling of consequence, it's very quick for comedy to take, for humor to take over. And there should yeah. be some humor. Uh, Chad is talking about black humor, gallows humor, things like that. Yeah, yeah, gallows humor. Also, also, um, yeah. But, but, but consequence is is why the players will take the game serious enough to instill horror. Yeah. Um, what do we think? Like, like what? how do you bake the communication of consequence into your Mm. writing. Well, I would jump in there and say, I think, you know, character death in a game is so, um, it's too, it's too broad. It's too vague, right? Death is just a, a nebulous. What, what do you mean you died? Like, did you explode? Were you ripped to pieces? Did you lose? Were you dismembered? You know what I mean? Uh, I think my favorite moments in a lot of my games recently have been when a character death is or even a character injury is like something that you can gameplay as in like uh i was playing through prison station echo and you know the the zombies were getting a guy and they didn't kill him but they ripped his chest open and his guts were falling out and then he wasn't dead though so they had to drag him down the hallway to the janitor's closet to staple his stomach shut right and that led to an amazing like literally visceral moment uh, of gaming where it was like an hour of tension and fun and horror because I didn't say, Oh, he took 10 damage and now he's dead. It was like, you ripped his chest open and what are you going to do? Those intestines are spilling out. Right. So I think those kind of moments can really um, bring things alive. So no one dies, but maybe they lose an arm or maybe, you know what I mean? Like something happens, right. An alien is growing out of their eye, like whatever, something like that. It's it's really going to do something for you. I totally agree with that. I lean into a lot of the body horror and getting infected by different things and having lots of nasty, horrible things happen to the players. And embracing it, right? Finding a way for your party to embrace consequences is is a great piece of this. I always make them make impossible choices. Mm. Uh, It's kind of like, oh my God, like, do I kill this person? Like knowing that his, like, you know, his, his, his kids are in the room. But he's got to, you know, I do that shit all the time. Where it's like, all right, hey man, I need this money, or this person's gonna, your loved one's gonna get hurt. And I always like 
like, damn it, Eric, boy, I'm just like, they're all stressed out. Like, yeah. why? I'm like, this is the game, man. I mean, these people make people like will Hard do play. things to, yeah, they'll twist your arm. Or it's like, I don't want to go yeah. in there. Like, I don't want to go in there. I don't want you to go in there either, man, but you got to. If you want to power the station back up, you got to run through this gauntlet of whatever. And, the, and like the fact that they get stressed out, my, my, my partner, he plays all my games. I just, he just starts sweating like in game, like, oh my God. Like, and I, I know, I know, I know I got to him. <laughs> as soon as the game ends, I start getting Discord messages like, I can't believe this. Da-da-da. You know? What, so, so we've got a good ch- question here in chat that ties along with this. Um, so, uh, Bear Droid's asking, um, how do you deal with players whose characters died, uh, like, you know, early into a module? Like, is that, is that something? So we can address That's that mechanical. That's that mechanical. A, so, yeah, go ahead. So it sucks to have to do this all the time, but this is one of the quandaries. There, there are several like there are several like quagmires in adventure writing. One of them is replacement characters. And it's like you want these characters to go into some deep dark cave where no one's been in a thousand years, but one of them dies down there. It sucks. <laughs> like, you know, like for like it's just like damn. So you have to have replacement characters somewhere. Like, like so like in uh Mothership again, we're talking about like uh gradient descent there's other divers that are in there yeah. maybe you or those clones of yourself are you playing a clone there are it's a very clever way of hiding the fact there are replacement characters in the alien rpg like there's like still guys in cryo and most of my in, in the in brain and blood there's other colonists who are like yeah. trapped so it, you have to like hide it there's a, there's, a, there's a certain level of buy-in or disbelief you have to have when you're playing role-playing game guys i'm sorry i'm making this as immersive as possible <laughs> you know but, i think i think yeah, i think 100 yeah. percent. but also like that i'm only willing to do that up to a certain point in the adventure right yes like, Half, the halfway point, mark is usually my cutoff part yeah once it gets point. past that i'm like it, and not not because i don't want that person at the table anymore and 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 whatnot but but because i want there to be an actual feeling of consequence Loss, yeah. and launch, yep. mm-hmm. abandonment and and a lot of times if if i do that then there there's other things that i can find for that player to do that aren't here's a new character go for it right like yeah, okay. here's an npc that you've been running with this whole time which is kind of the thing that you talked about in cryo eric but but a lot of times that's an npc that they're not meant to play right like right. this is an important npc well i trust you go ahead and just you can run this guy till the end mm-hmm. or let them run one of the villains or whatever, right? Like there's other things that they can do to to participate in Morkborg, which isn't sci-fi, but um, in Morkborg, I'll let uh, often like you can come back as a spirit or a specter or something like that. And your motivations aren't the same as your previous motivations. You're not necessarily benevolent to the party, but you're involved still to some extent. Yeah. So there's ways yep. that you can do it. But I, I agree with you, Eric. Like if you're playing a five session arc and somebody dies and, part two that's a hard thing to say well we'll see you in yeah. eight weeks when we wrap this up yeah. yeah or they or they had or they had crucial information they die with it it's so the two hardest things to write in my opinion is detective adventures mm. and then horror because you have it's like so much like nudging on the sides to get people to like because like people die it's a horror game if no one's dying yeah. it's really horror you know people players die and this can two players finishes the module i remember like I, I went my character went i was playing with um with santa like from the discord like i, I went down gradient descent he's like i can't make it without you he had to drag me all the way out of the out of the out of the, <laughs> out of the dungeon to heal me to go back in you know that kind of stuff is important and unfortunately you have to play test some stuff sometimes or play a lot of horror games understand this stuff before you write it because you will write yourself into a corner and be like i did not think the players would do that explosion 
grenades, explosive gun, like things that are like, you know, like they just, oh my, I should not have given them grenades. They totally <laughs> yeah. were going to, you know, so it's hard, guys. You have to just, it comes with experience. Brian, Brian's a writing machine, okay? Talk to this dude. I, I, you know, I, it's all a, minimal writing, so it's like it goes a, fast. <laughs> he's like he's like a quill and ink in the in the midnight, just like writing down. Zach, go ahead, Brad. Yeah. A, a minute ago, like before, you asked Eric about like what is important to a, hor a horror game, yeah. and one of the things for me is the unknown. Mm -hmm. Like people mm -hmm. play D and they know every single freaking monster out of all the different bestiaries yep. that come out. Yeah, so having something that when you describe it to the players and they don't know what the heck it is that starts to instill that uncertainty and that uneasiness with the players yeah, yeah. unknown oh my yeah. gosh yeah go ahead Dave. i think giving stuff names is so tricky like you really want to make sure the name is not something that they're just going to start using orc zombie you know what i mean like yeah. like the classic advice even for a fantasy game is like don't tell them three orcs come in the room tell them like three hulking stinking humanoids come in the room that have giant fang teeth and you know like no noses or whatever right i think that's that's doubly important in a horror game right there's no like oh here's the monster and it's 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 12 feet long and blah 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 you know what i mean like more like the pipes get filled with a bunch of slimy tentacles and w one red eye pokes out and looks at you do you know what i mean yeah. it's not like this is an abomination you say that's what you, you describe it right so yeah. important. especially like i would even say like one i'll double down on that and say you know, if you run the alien game or something like that, where the monster is known often, right? yeah, like we know we're gonna. I never, I never say what it is, but I never, yeah, yeah. like describe, just find a, find the way of describing the Xeno that is unique to that moment, right? Yeah. If you just say a Xeno jumps out of the shadows, all all the players yep. see right is the entirety of a action figure of a Xeno jumping out of the shadows, and there's no horror to that, right? So. Yeah. Um, finding yeah. finding something to fixate on, whether it's whether it's the the carapace or the 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 drool yeah. or whatever you need to whatever you think of in the moment is probably the right call, but find something to fixate on. If you want to, if you want like a pro DM tip, if you're if you're a five E guy, just reskin, take the stats of a bear and reskin. Yeah. Because yep. bears are terrifying in 5e, and it's like they have claws. I just, I just, I've done that thousands of times. I just reskin the bear in D and D, and just yeah. the same stats, oh. and just sit it in the room. What, what, yeah, I mean, good. It, oh, okay, I was just gonna. Any good monster is the way you describe it, right? It doesn't like the mechanics. I actually have gotten to a point where I, I hate writing mechanics because honestly, they don't matter that much. What matters is the descriptors of the thing and how it's going to act in the situation, right? And how it's going to make your player players feel and react right? Like what it's going to do to the, the scene. I think with the Xeno thing, Zach, I was thinking about how any Xeno you can make interesting if you modify it based on the environment you're in, right? And that's any monster. So now it's it's a Xenomorph, but you just describe it emerging from the mud or like it's how it's burnt in bubble carapace by like, because it was exposed to the reactor core. You give these details that are that are module specific and boom, this Xenomorph you've seen a thousand times, it's fresh, new, and it's also specific to the scene, right? So I think that's gonna add so much power. One thing that we, uh, I wanna make sure we cover, we're, we're about 20, about 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes before the end of our panel. And by the way, chat, you're asking great questions. Keep asking them and I'll keep trying to bring them up in here. But we've talked a lot about horror. I want to go to the second word of this panel, right? Which is sci-fi. So, how you, you you're you've you've got a good horror story. What are some of the great ways that you can bake sci-fi 
attitude or sci-fi sensibility attitude or sensibilities however you want to call it into your uh into your uh module what are your favorite tips or or tricks there how to bake horror into sci-fi no no how do how do how do you how do you add how do you make sure that you're writing a mothership module you're gonna write rain and blood or you're gonna write uh you know uh, uh miami laser cutter or something like that right and you've got a good idea for a horror story like what are some of the ways that you can make it feel like you're in a science fiction setting as opposed to just on earth or in a in a warehouse or in a whatever like what are some some well i mean do there? i mean the, the lowest hanging fruit is fantastical technology i mean yep. like yeah and that's the easiest way it's like you don't have to go too crazy because like i mean i was born in the 70s so like things aren't that different from then except now we have like computers and cell phones everything got smaller everything was like this big and everything got like this big you know so that's the only i mean you said there's enough familiarity where you don't have to explain to people every little piece of what everything does in the world but there's enough to work convenience like maybe you have earpieces or like translators or but space i only write sci-fi horror okay for, sorry but like it's the easiest one to describe like you're trapped somewhere space is scary you see that movie gravity there's no monsters there's just like this picture like oh shit I'm, I'm flying around in space it's Your scary by itself oxygen all these problems start popping up like in dead space i'm like am i i'm like a janitor i'm gonna fix every i gotta fix every goddamn thing in this ship like and then like you fight and stuff comes later i'm like i'm at work i gotta fix a pipe i gotta do this i gotta fix this you know so that like you know, space is just scary. It's the easiest one because you're trapped somewhere. We'll get to you, but you're in a space station in the middle of nowhere. Help is coming. That's not going to help me now in two weeks. It's yeah. the easiest setting to write horror for, dude. The hardest is now, like 2023 with cell phones and the cops and everything else. GPS is hard. I think that's that's a big part of what I was thinking about is like, you know, when, when we talk about modern horror or like 1970s or like, like you know, retro horror, um, a lot of it is about remove finding ways of removing tech, right? How do we make how do we get it to where nobody can use a cell phone or nobody can use the internet or yeah. yada, yada, right? Once you get into sci-fi horror, there's some of that that you still do, right? Like you can't reach you can't reach the space station or you can't reach Earth or whatever. But but there's a big part where you have to accept the fact that your party, your players are going to have access to technology which is designed to make their lives a little bit easier and that is advanced even perhaps beyond what it is now. And so like an alien, right? You got the motion trackers or things like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's real tech that is going to be at use. And I think leaning into that and finding ways mm -hmm. of either navigating it or or incorporating it in is huge because if you write a great sci a horror story but you say this only works if they can't talk to each other. Um, well, that can work, but you know, you're going to have a whole army of players who are like, but we have all these comm units on our ship. Yep. Right. And, and I think that walking in with your horror story and as you sit down to write, thinking about the types of kits that are going to be prevalent in mm -hmm. whatever setting you're in is, is super important. Otherwise you're going to, your players are going to be forced get feel like they're forced to downgrade their gear because that the story has to, is, is, you know, it only works if it goes that way. Yeah, I mean, I mean you, go ahead, Brian. Uh, something like with that, like where you have the comms and they're working, that just adds to the horror. If they're working, then all of a sudden there's some sort of interference that makes it stop working. You know. Mm -hmm. the, the problem also, go ahead. Uh, I'll just—it's quick. The isolation in a lot of the horror scenarios—not to bring it back to horror, but sci-fi horror—a lot of space, 
and horror is isolation. So a lot of my stuff is like, well, you're isolated for this reason. You're on, you're in this unexplored ruin. You're in this uh, strange alien cave. So you can talk to each other, but you're probably not getting the signal out anyway. Or like their classic uh, Congo or Anaconda, like a big storm's blown in, and of course it's going to mess with all the phones. So like that, that's a great setup anyway, and it works doubly well in in most space sci-fi scenarios anyway. Like. You have to like, I mean, we call it plot holes in film. Like, oh, I can't believe that would happen. Like, in, in this, there's, a, there's a storm, the storm rolling in. Oh, here we go. I guess we're gonna lose comms. You have to like, I do things. I see it. In, I see it in advance. Where like, I tell people like, hey, just so you know, it's the rainy season on this planet. There's those storm yeah. fronts come in. They, they come in. They come out. So you, there might be some times where you have intermittent communications. Oh, okay, it's so not the whole time. No, 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 just part of the time. But it just happens to be the time where you're down there running around. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you, you have to like, you can't like. Yeah. You can't break the third wall too many times. Yeah, but I mean, like, I can I can tell you what things not to include. Explosives are, are going to cause problems. <laughs> they just will because I just blow their ways through walls. Any kind of like telekinetic anything, like mind or mind reading, is going to break your game. So like, mm. it's easier to go like I don't want these things than like than because that's why if you work backwards, like if the characters have a laser cutter. They could one shot the boss. Well, laser cutters are prevalent on a mining platform. You know, like you have, it's easier to work backwards from the stuff than to from forwards from it. But well, trust me on this any kind of tele, any kind of mind reading or flying, the characters can fly away from the prop. He's down there. I have a jetpack, homie. Bye. I'm out of here. Like that's going to cause problems. So just keep that in mind. I love, I love what Dave said uh, and, and, and everything. Yes, these are the problem areas of horror is when you get into characters that are too kitted out. Uh, to mm. that way they could bypass problems but the isolation i think that's a great note from dave one of the things i remember so i went down to nasa a couple of years ago and mm. i was walking through oh, one of their nice. museums right and they have a couple yeah a couple <laughs> of um, uh, i'm there yeah they have a couple of uh crafts that they're suspended from the ceiling that are some of the first like orbital crafts that were launched into space with with humans in them and mm they have like them all like splayed open. So what you see is a craft that's the size of like a Fiat, right? Up in the, suspended from the air. It's got a hatch open and there's a dude drifting out of it, like a prop dude drifting out of it in a spacesuit. I learned in that moment how terrified I am of space, right? Yeah. Because the reality, right, is that these people were launched into space. They're orbiting. They're in a cockpit. Sometimes they were with somebody else. Sometimes they were by themselves for a week, two weeks. They are in a cockpit that is basically like a race car cockpit with no room. They are in a space helmet, space suit the entire time. When they're ready to go spacewalking, they're going to hook a, a, a ratchet strap or a burlap strap or whatever it is. They're going to hook it to some console panel. Then they're just going to open the door, their Lamborghini mm. door, out to the space, right? <laughs> then just fall out. And the panels of this spacecraft are, like, minuscule, right? <laughs> and I, I just I, – and, you know, they're like, like that idea, right, of, like, you are always half an inch from oblivion. Uh, right. Yeah, love is, it. Is incredible incredibly powerful and and yeah. it star wars and things like that that are more like space opera or space fantasy or whatnot doesn't 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 worry about that right the bulkheads are always a a, a foot thick but but when you're doing sci-fi horror i think communicating that it's space is not a comfy place 
um, mm. and space stations and plant and moons and stuff are not comfy. There's always mm -hmm. this promise that if anything, if a seam, if a rip, if a tear, if a crack, if a, you know, any, a seal gets, is, 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 is disintegrated or is compromised, you're right there. You're, you're, you're at, you're at oblivion's doorstep. I love well, uh, that. Real like, quick. Like, so people are like, Eric, why do you, in all your games, why do all the characters only have pistols, shotguns, and SMGs? Well, you can use the, you can use the assault rifle. You're just going to blast, blast a bunch of holes through the hole. I've killed mm -hmm. players that way. They run into a room, like, shot the thing, and they just got, like, like, pin, the, this is armor, this is anti-personnel armor piercing, you know, assault right. rifle. You're going to no one's going to use this. So most of the fighting in my games happens hand to hand and, and, and mm -hmm. bloody and up close in corridors, just like in real life. Like when they you have like ship, you have naval battles with Marines. They'd pull up to a ship and they'd beat the hell out of the guys with clubs and stuff because like they don't want to sink the ship and mm. sink all the stuff inside the ship. Mm. So that's a very oh intuitive way to see that stuff, man. Is to make the environment the environment in, in cyber horror. The environment should always be like its own creature. Mm. you know yeah. in the background yeah. put, put the pressure on the adventure for sure yeah. like i think i think in like hard light right in the station like coming apart too or something like that too in hard light well you've got the whole invasion happening plus it's it's like a double threat where there's the mercenary invasion which is coming from um die hard right and then you've got the things that's escaping from the lab and they're taking over the whole station so that's always it's just this chaotic situation of people running and you've got these two factions that are colliding and there's constant pressure there for sure. So there's yeah. always something happening in the background. It's never like yeah, pushing you forward. You really chill. Yeah. It yeah. never happens. Spear Droid in chat is asking, and you know, would, would these ships even have firearms on them at times? Uh, the answer is no. A lot of times like colony ships or military vessels will have them like in a locker sealed up somewhere. Dude. But yeah. Dude. The space. So this is another Sean McCoy thing is like the spaceship is a hard thing to also navigate in sci-fi horror writing. Cause the spaceship is a flying tank with a hospital on it and all kind of stuff. But you want them to use it, but like how you don't want it to become like its own thing. We're like, there's a problem in the jungle. Let's go get this creature. Okay, well, let's have the ship fly above us and monitor our status. As we, you know, it's like that. That's these are hard questions, guys, that I can't answer for you on these panels. You just have that's like the difference between a hack writer and a good writer is like plausibly finding a way to eliminate the creature comfort slowly. And aliens, they start off with all these guns and all this stuff and all yeah. this stuff. And by the end of the movie, they're like, we got nothing, man. Got 10 bullets in his head and this pistol. Like, it's how, it's how they get there. It's hard. Yeah. You t you, you, they start with all this stuff and then you slowly just take it all away. And now they're left alone somewhere, you know, scared, whatever. And Bear Droid, one of the things that I always do, if there is that locker, dude, there's only like one person who can open that locker. And that's like the captain or commander and their key mm -hmm. card, maybe. So like... Rain and blood, baby. Yeah. <laughs> find his body and get the key card. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Prison Station Echo and Helium Hysteria, two of the things I've written. Um, Helium Hysteria. That, that's in... Uh, it's in... Um, oh. Uh, the big one. You know, Hull Breach. That's in oh. Hull Breach. I don't know. Uh, it's a big mothership anthology. Yeah, I know what anyway, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, in both of those, you start off in one, it's a, you're a janitor, right? Like you have a mop, right? I think in a lot of sci-fi horror or any kind of horror situation or sci-fi, it's great to, like, yeah, that technology is out there, but why are you going to have the body armor and the body camera or whatever? Like, you're just a dude who's like cleaning up puke or whatever. So, and if you find that stuff, it makes it so rewarding, right? And trying to, problem solve i think that's a ton of fun uh 
you know, in Helium Hysteria, exactly. There's a gun locker and it's a whole situation where you got to talk to the panic Marines that are guarding that gun locker and you got to do a favor for them. Right. So it's driving play if you really want those weapons. Right. I think that's that's the real fun to give people like really weird. And you start off with them. Um, I was inspired by Battle Royale. Have you all seen Battle Royale? Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the actual the film about yeah. the, the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you, you start with if you're the, the chef, you have like a uh, you have an electric knife and you've got a turkey. You know what I mean? Like this is what you're starting with. And you know what? People find out good good uses for that turkey, right? right. It can be a lot of things. Brian, we're in the last few minutes here. What's one last little note that you would want to throw at um at, at this discussion? Make it weird. Because the the weirder it is, the less the players are going to expect it. You know? Uh, yeah, that's what I'd say. Coming from a pink room. Right. Uh, with sculptures, <laughs> with weird sculptures littering the background. Um, yes. Yeah, make it weird. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, J- uh, Dave, anything on your end? One, la- one last little note. I just want to add to what you said, Brian. Make it weird, but make it like suddenly weird. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. especially in horror, like it's like it's totally normal. I get what this is, and you're like, wait a minute, that's not what this was at all. This is this guy's actually made of flaming goo. You know what I mean? Like, I thought it was a person, but now he's melting. You know, like that kind of uh, thing. So make it make it suddenly, rapidly, explosively weird. I think is uh, I like a good modification. I'm gonna give Eric the last one. My my note will be. Um... If you're if, if you're putting together an adventure, one of the favorite one of my favorite things that a writer will do in their adventure is say these are my inspirations, and communicate mm-hmm. that to the game master. Because if you tell me, hey, this adventure is based on Event Horizon, right at the start, got it. All right, like I I I have all of no the, shame in that game, man. No, no, no shame there's no all, shame dude. at all, man. And and then I even a lot of times will go one step further and communicate that to my players. Hey, mm-hmm. we're going to play through an adventure. It's going to feel kind of like Event Horizon or whatever. And the mm-hmm. players that know now, like we all, like we can, we can like hitch our wagon to that shared experience that we already have. And that's like a shortcut <clears throat> to a lot of great things. So um, don't, you don't always have to do that, especially if your plots are going to be like in, you know, in parallel. But, but I, I like it when, when a writer will communicate, these are my references. These are my inspirations. Cause it, it, it helps me get on their wavelength right away. All right, Eric, what you thinking? Any last things there? This is my message to all y'all out there. They'll just put something on paper and make it happen. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be perfect. It could be like shit, dude. I mean, like I, I, I look back at my old sketchbooks from college and I cringe hard, okay? It looks terrible. I'm like, it's embarrassing. But I, I got better. And like, I just find people you inspire you. Like Brian, these guys who work hard, they, they make it happen. Don't wait, just start doing it and refining your work, okay? And number two, there's all these gatekeeping motherfuckers out there on Twitter, on the internet who are telling you you're playing the game wrong. This is how you play RPG. You're doing it wrong. You are not doing it wrong. If you and your friends mm-hmm. are having a good time, you are doing it right. Don't listen. To, there's, a, there's too much of this bullshit out there where it's like, you have to roll like this. It's a, there's no right or wrong way to play a role-playing game. Just play it with your friends and have a good time. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Oh, my God. All the crazy cringe shit that I did. Like, I, I, I ran LARPs. I have a, I'm a LARPer. I have LARP, dude. I'm a vampire. I'm, I'm, all that shit, okay? There's no wrong way to do that shit. But you got to start somewhere. And just start today. Write something down. Talk to your friends. Go on Go on Discord. The reason I got notoriety, I went on Mothership Discord and started talking shit to all these fucking nerds who were like, who were like up Sean's ass. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, just go out there and make it happen today. That's I, it. That's the perfect way to end the panel. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm so Sorry, happy. David. 
You say what? I'm, call, I'm calling all David to fuck you. No, <laughs> no, I love you. You're a good dude. I'm glad I met you. Awesome. Well, Thanks, hey, man. let's do this. Um, as we're wrapping up here, I'm going to give you guys uh, an opportunity to to promote where you want where you want to send people. Mm. Uh, but before I do that, I'm going to tell people about some of the stuff that they should buy from you guys because mm. um, I love your content and I think it's some of the best sci-fi horror content out there. So um, Brian's content you can find by ch just Googling Bass Grimm or Creature Curation and you will find all sorts of cool stuff that Brian has put together. Um, I'm a huge fan of Vast Grimm. Um, you can get the core book and that's all you ever need to play. If you just want to grab that core rule book for, I think it's like 35 bucks. Um, you can find it on his site. You can find it on our site. Um, and you can pick it up and it's awesome. Um, everything you need to run for both a player and a GM is in there. In addition, he's got a bunch of cool zines filled with like little adventures and things like that. And also he just came out with, and I think they're going up on the store, hopefully soon. Brian. They're out there. Out there. Perfect. Three new hardcover books that kind of expand. Yeah, they look the real world. good. They're Thank you. Real good. They got this crazy, like, um, reflective cover on the entire thing. Oh. Anyhow, I'm, I'm in love with them. Um, Thank you. Very cool. They have all sorts of like rules for ships and rating and 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 all sorts of goodness. Um, so I'll I'll highly recommend Brian's Vascrim line, and you should definitely check that out. Um, if you're here in Kansas City, um, I know you can pick it up at Tabletop KC and probably at other places as well. Um, Eric uh, makes all sorts of rad stuff. If you if you check look for uh, Spider Zero Zero X and you go. Um, hunting on the interwebs you can find i think on your itch eric if i'm right itch a drive i'm, I'm in all the places yeah. but like it, if, if you want like to talk, to get a whole itch is my home i, I love itch i love the i love the service the platform just i'm all on there perfect itch that i you can get um uh you put together a a fan made uh uh alien rpg adventure that you can get for free um and uh, it's really rad and you should check that out from eric also you could pick up his mothership content um either on itch or on drive through or on our own web store store yeah world game design yep store.wogd.com yeah. mm -hmm. and then um and and it's the weirdest like every person that comes up to the mothership table and i'm getting ready to talk about dave's in the same breath but every person that comes up to our mothership booth like two of the products that they gravitate to right away is galaxy of death packet which is three of eric's adventures kind of bundled into one they're the weirdest most brilliantly colored like True. wild uh mothership <laughs> content that you'll see that catch your eyes. Yeah. craftsmanship That's right. God. That's right. <laughs> and then on the other end of the spectrum uh in a good way um i'll, I'll speak to dave dave's content is uh stunning in in a Completely pretty polished avenue, yeah, in a polished way. Um, pretty polished. Dying hard on hard light station is one of the most beautiful, weird, gross, dark um, zine adventures you'll find out there. It's easily one of the best-selling mothership adventures on the planet. Um, and Prison Station Echo and everything else that Dave does is equally as awesome. But um, I, I I can't recommend it enough. Um, you're at Magnum Galaxy games right games yes yes absolutely yeah. dave and you should check out his stuff you can pick it up on our web store as well um but but uh i'm also going to recommend if, if these guys have their own website like they get 100 percent of the profit when you go to, straight to them so go go buy their shit straight straight from the source and and we'll love you for it uh brian is there anything as we're we got a last minute here anything that i missed or anything you would point people to Nope, you could go to vascrim.com that'll take you all the places or uh just for all my stuff it's just briancolon.com perfect that's all thanks Awesome. Eric, anything that I missed there? Nope. It was a pleasure as always, Zach. Awesome. Dave? Yeah, that was most of it. So itch, DTRPG for my Magnum Galaxy stuff. And if you're looking for me online, just search Magnum Galaxy Games. You'll find me pop up a few places. 
Perfect. Thanks a lot, fellas, for hanging out. Uh, chat, stay around. Check out some more stuff from Midwest Game Fest. And if you're curious, um, uh, we're going to be streaming another panel tomorrow morning. Uh, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Adventures, so a whole different type of sci-fi in the morning with some of those designers. And then tomorrow evening, Sunday evening, here on the World of Game Design Twitch channel. Not on the Midwest Game Fest, but on World of Game Design. We're going to be playing Dragon Bane. Um, so in a one-shot. So if you're curious about that RPG and you want to check it out, 